On today's podcast, we have the Pats Diversity and Inclusivity Committee. Wait, we have a Diversity and Inclusivity Committee? Yes, Phil, we do have a Diversity and Inclusivity Committee. Stick around. Let's be better athletic trainers. <laughs> In the opening episodes of this podcast, we talked with athletic trainers across the state to showcase where the profession came from and where it can head. Now we're going to tackle different topics that we as athletic trainers uh, face on an everyday level. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series on diversity and inclusivity in athletic training. I'm really excited about this topic because it is very important to us that we create an environment where everyone feels safe and welcome in our athletic training rooms. Our hope is to provide you with some knowledge to help you improve your everyday interactions with athletes and families. So let's get at it. Again, I wanna welcome the Pats Diversity and Inclusivity Committee to the show. Thank you all for being here. Uh, we're gonna start by introducing ourselves and tell us a little bit about uh, your work experience and how you got started in the world of diversity and inclusivities. Mercedes, why don't you kick us off? Okay, thank you for having us. Uh, my name is Mercedes Simmons, and I'm the chair of the Pets Inclusivity Committee, and it has two subcommittees, um, diversity and LGBTQ+. So I'm the chair for diversity and inclusivity, and Bonnie chairs LGBTQ+. Um, currently, I'm technically on hold for Cal U as an athletic trainer and clinical instructor. Um, this will be my second, I guess technically third year. I started in August 2018, um, and I'm also alum of Cal twice, and <laughs> um, so it's good to be back there, and I work with women's basketball and women's soccer. Awesome. Um, and for my work in diversity and inclusivity, I guess you could say it just started when I took over as chair for the committee in June or so. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Bonnie? Hi, thanks for having us. I'm really happy to have the opportunity to uh, do this podcast. Uh, I am, as Mercedes said, the... Um, co-chair or chair for the LGBTQ plus uh, subcommittee for PATS and the LGBTQ plus um, representative for um, sort of the um, uh, division two subcommittee that's going on. So I work with the uh, division two liaison. Um, I am currently an associate professor at Slippery Rock University working in the athletic training graduate program and the clinical coordinator for, for our program here. Um, this is actually my 27th year at Slippery Rock and I'm an nice. alum of Slippery Rock University. I did my master's degree at Indiana University out in Bloomington, Indiana and my doctoral degree at Duquesne. Uh, I've been doing diversity work uh, for a very long time. Um, I did my dissertation um, at Duquesne looking at mentoring as a, uh, a method of retention for black women in athletic training education programs. And, um, you know, just have always done a lot of work in racialized issues. 
I currently serve on our President's Commission for Gender Identity and Sexual Orientation uh, here at Slippery Rock and have done a lot of work with the LGBTQ um, community as a member of the LGBT uh, plus community here uh, myself and um, you know just has, has been you know part of my work so um, happy to um, you know be working um, for the Pats membership and um, I'm actually the original chairperson for the diversity uh, committee um, for <laughs> Pats so talk about that a little bit too yeah thank you bonnie <laughs> all right kelly. and we also have kelly <laughs> so i'm kelly fleming um i am one of the athletic trainers at cedar Crest college um i'm an alumni of east stroudsburg's program okay. um i've been certified this is now my 17th year um but it's my fourth year at cedar Crest. um my work with diversity inclusivity didn't really start until I got to Cedar Crest. Uh, the high school I was at didn't have tons of diversity. Um, Cedar Crest has much more of a diverse community here on campus and more of an inclusivity than what we had at the high school. Awesome. awesome. Thank you guys. So I think a good place to start, and any and this is going to be just an open discussion with everyone. Uh, anyone can answer at any time. Let's we're going to make this kind of lively and fun uh, that we can. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the history of the committee. When did it start? What your focuses are? Things like that. I'll jump in and I'll answer that. Um, I had the opportunity back in 2010, um, again, um, working for uh, in diversity and fighting for um, equality and, and in racialized issues for most of my career. I remember being at the PATS um, uh, uh, meeting in June of 2010 and I ran into then President Greg Janik and I said, you know, we really need to do a lot more work in diversity um, in uh, the state. And if you have any interest in, in sort of starting a, a, an EDAC within the in the state, I would love to, to get involved in that. EDAC be, being the um, uh, Ethnic Diversity Advisory Council, similar to, you know, what the NATA has. And a few months later, he contacted me and said, you know, I think that's actually a pretty good idea. And um, in February of, of 2011, I put together sort of the job description for that and, and put that in the policy and procedure manual. And so started um, as the first chair for what was called the Diversity uh, Committee for PATS. And, you know, it was... Um, you know, kind of slow going, um, you know, I kind of felt like a one woman show for a little bit. Um, and most of the, the emphasis was on racialized issues in, um, in PATS. Um, we had a very small um, committee, Marsha Grant Ford was part of, of the committee, uh, Jamie Mansell was part of the committee. And um, so a lot of it was really starting out with um, education, um, with our breakout sessions at the PATS meetings, um, you know, talking about um, really just doing a lot of educational sessions 
Um, we did uh, a welcoming diversity um, workshop for the board at the time um, at one of their meetings um, and just trying to really do a grassroots effort and um, you know from there passed it off uh, to other individuals and um, you know I think there was a little ebb and flow over time and so um, fortunately um, now Mercedes has um, you know picked up the the mantle and I think we've got some real traction because I think people are really recognizing um, the 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 real need, um, not just for racialized, around racialized issues, which is such a hot topic now, but, um, you know, looking at the LGBTQ um, issues, especially around transgender issues, which we'll, we'll get to in the next podcast. Mercedes, anything to add to that on the, uh, the committee level? Um, any, any, you know, as you take over as the chair, um, any aspirations, any goals of the committee that you want to talk about? Uh, <laughs> um, going off of what Bonnie said, I think it's important that we do try to increase the attention to diversity in the Commonwealth alone, because within ethnic training, um, I personally don't think there's much of it. I have reached out to get um, a breakdown of what the diversity is. So yeah. um, work, the district two is working on it. So when that comes out, I'll share it with everyone. Um, I think it's good information to know, but we do have um, goals for the committee and we're working on them as we speak. Um, we are putting together infographics that we can get out to the committee. Um, the one that's being worked on now um, or that Heidi had already put together um, and we're kind of tying things together was on um, how to have those tough conversations um, because People don't want to talk about things because they're taboo or it's uncomfortable. So um, we figured to give an infographic can be like the starter. So, you know, people can have something that they can reference. Um, and we kind of want to put out more infographics, um, maybe in the quarterly news or however we can get them out to the members just so we can start to get the ball rolling. Um, and then we also wanted to participate in diversity and inclusion sort of things educationally. Um, I wanna say last month, towards the end of last month, there was a cultural competence in sports medicine webinar that yeah. we put out um, the information for people to attend that um, was, I wanna say, I forget the other lady's name, might've been Jackie. But um, Dr. Renee Shingles, she also was one of the hosts for it. So I thought it was very interesting and informational. And then um, there's another webinar, or I think it's a series um, coming up next Thursday, October 15th, that we uh, sent the information to, to be sent out for everyone to be able to register. It's free. And I think there's CUs attached to it and that um, how to be a healthcare anti-racist. So okay. I think if we, if we can get this information out to the members and present resources, then we're doing our part so that we can educate and kind of get things going. Um, it seems like a lot, but I, I yeah. think we're doing enough so far in uh, trying to help. 
no, I, 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 I uh, appreciate that. Those thoughts. Um, and I saw the, that came out and I think that, you know, I, I encourage our listeners to, to take advantage of that. I definitely think I'm going to try to sign up. Um, but that, that there's, you said something in there um, that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, talking about terminology and, and, and how do we talk about skin color? And you, you mentioned it, like, you know, we, it, it can be a taboo type issue and, if we aren't comfortable with the terminology to, to have these conversations, how are we going to have these conversations? So I guess my question to the group is just, you know, can, can you maybe review some, some terminology that is common um, when we talk about racial issues and, and maybe skin color in general? Like, you know, I, I think some people are afraid to say like, you know, Mercedes is a black woman. Like that, that shouldn't be taboo to say that, right? Like, right. can you just maybe go into some of those thoughts and, and, and how can we have these conversations? I can start. Um, for me personally, um, I would prefer to be called a black woman versus an African-American woman. Um, I was born in America. I am black. I, I wasn't born in Africa, so I'm black. Right. Um, which also ties into, I recently finished my dissertation in defense and it was focused on black and African-American student athlete, um, which was a conversation that I had with my committee about, well, are they interchangeable? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, but some people have their preferences. Um, I, I think I'm the kind of person where I just talk to someone and it's okay, they're black, but also we have BIPOC or bi I'm not sure how people are pronouncing it, but it's B-I-P-O-C. Mm -hmm. And I think it's black indigenous people of color and okay. that's some other terminology I think how can I use that or you know what do you mean that it's just starting those conversations is the basis of it if you have a question ask and I think if you come off as a person where you're genuine then it's not going to be taken in the wrong context so it just it's really you as a person making sure that you're creating that safe space and that comfortability with your patients or your athletes or anyone for that matter, um, yeah. just to talk and ask questions. Great. Anybody else have anything to add on that? Yeah, I think the most important thing that Mercedes pointed out there is the, the criticality of just asking, asking your patients um, and asking anyone in general, there's a really big difference. And, and I, um, one of the things I did years ago at the PATS conference was a, a presentation on the difference between being politically correct and professionally respectful. You know, people get really hung up on being politically correct, but it's not a matter of political correctness, it's professional respect. Just ask, ask your patients. You know, if you're not sure the the race or um, you know the um, sexual identity that someone wants to go by, ask. It's not being politically correct. It's just being respectful of what that person wants. So, um, and by being um, intuitive enough and respectful enough, it shows a lot on your part and um, people really respond to that. So just ask. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, I appreciate that. That's Go something ahead. we try to do here with our athletes is, especially our incoming first years that we haven't met before. The first time we are talking to them, we try to have the conversation with them, be like, we're not trying to offend you. 
we want to make sure things are moving forward and we're respectful of you. How do you want us to recognize you? How do you want to be recognized? What name do you want to go by? And all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that it's okay to have that conversation and, and ask, but be, um, be genuine, right? Don't, don't, you know, yeah. I think you have to be, I think you have to think before you talk, but you know, as long as you're genuine and, and, and you're, um, you know, really just trying to learn more about that person, it's, that should be okay. Is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. Yes, yep. sure. absolutely. And if, when you make a mistake, apologize, say, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Thank you for, for correcting me. Uh, once you know better, do better. Yeah. And I think that's, that's huge. Um, not, not feeling personally attacked when you do make a mistake, right? Like, I think we all have to understand that we're not perfect and, and, and that we're all on a learning process, um, right? We're, we're, we're continuing this process and we are going to make mistakes. So identifying when, or, or, or being okay when you make a mistake and don't get defensive about it, um, it would be another um, thing that I'm, I've been learning about, right? It's, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to say something and I might even say something on this podcast that is not correct. And I, I would, I would um, encourage any of you guys to, to call me out, you know, live on, on the call and, and let me know. Um, and, and hopefully I can, you know, step back and be like, okay, I'm all right. Like, yes, you know, I, I apologize. Let's move forward and let me learn from that. So I, I appreciate you guys sharing that with us. So kind of on, on that note, um, about calling out when, when, um, you know, asking permission, getting, setting that professional kind of relationship going. Um, one thing that always worries me are like little microaggressions and how we can prevent that or what even is, are the microaggressions that we need to watch out for? Cause it might just be something that we commonly do that could be offensive to somebody and, and we're, we're, offending somebody unnecessarily when without, without knowing. So what are some of those things that we, we should be watching out for there? Many microaggressions, yeah. uh, to be honest. And I don't, I don't think we can focus on just one or a few, um, but a lot of people don't know that microaggressions are a thing. Um, one or not one, but a few microaggressions that speak out to me. Um, if I'm meeting someone and usually a white person and they're, oh, you speak so well, or, you know, talking about President Barack Obama, he speaks so well. Well, he's an educated man. I would hope that he speaks well. And it's just that connotation of you're black, maybe you're not educated. And <laughs> I don't want to have to explain myself every time that, you know, I went to high school, I have a bachelor's, a master's, a doctorate. I don't have to explain myself to you. I can speak well. Um, also, oh, you're black, but you're not black, black. Like, uh, I'm not sure what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, or it's like, you're not ghetto. So it's just, well, okay. But most people don't know. I grew up in the inner city in Philadelphia. So I, I don't know, but it's just, well, what's black, black, but okay. It is, you can also have a white person that maybe they look white, but they are biracial and you say, oh, well, what are you? That's one is rude. And it's also a microaggression. And you just have this disbelief that someone with blonde hair, blue eyes is not full white. And it's, I think 
we just had to think about what we say. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a lot of think before you speak. And we're very, as a whole, we're just, we're going to say what's on our mind. And I, I respect it. I appreciate it. But you have to think first, just like, how can this be taken? Or, you know, talking about someone's hair, like, oh, your hair is long, it's straight. Like, how's it supposed to be? Like, <laughs> what is the acceptable? They make straighteners. Right. The hairstyle, yeah. <laughs> It's, there's many things that go on and actually in my dissertation research one of my participants was talking about her experience and she was saying she's the only uh, black student athlete on her team and at one point she was upset about something and she, since then she's just been deemed you know the angry black woman and it's she was upset but somebody that's not black could have that same experience and they're is more accepted versus just asking her, what are you upset about? And, you know, how can we fix the problem? So it's making sure that you're not just throwing these things onto people. And it, it you can have white microaggressions as well. Granted, I, I don't know all of them, but those are the, the common ones that are heard and seen or whatever. So, so it's not necessarily what you're saying, because I mean, to tie it into the terminology question that we had prior to, it, it's how you're saying it, that that surprise, like, oh my God, you're, you're, you're vocalizing that you're assuming what okay. one thing, and it's, you have to remember that we're, we're all humans, we're all in this world together, what, what, why is there a difference? Why are you assuming that, that Mercedes wouldn't speak appropriately just because? It's, it's exactly. more or less just, just that dignity and respect of being a human should be kind of just out there in general. Yes, yes. And cool. they could be very subtle as we went over. And a lot of people just don't think about, like, it's not something, an outward, a huge outwardly show of something. is those little things that happen every day, all day. Anybody else have any, any thoughts on that? It's kind of interesting. Um, you know, we just had the um, the debate uh, between the the two vice presidential candidates on television the other day, and um, you know, so we have our very you know very historic first um, black woman who's also um, um, Asian, and um, you know, so amazing historical moment, and. It should have been celebrated, but there, when you followed social media, the level of microaggressions leveled at Senator Harris were unbelievable. All you had, it, it's a, it's a um, study in microaggressions. Um, uh, the mansplaining from Vice President Pence the the simple um you know reference um of him as mr vice president and her as kamala you know the 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 um misogyny the um racism the uh you know like i said it's a study in microaggressions on so many levels it was unbelievable and when you look at social media, the level of microaggressions between misogyny and racism from men and women, from whites 
it's just so overwhelming. So if, if you're not sure what microaggressions are, go look at social media and, and you'll see um, what we're talking about. Um, uh, so it was kind of frustrating to, you know, to, to watch that. Um, so um, yeah, so that was my soapbox about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, anybody else have any thoughts on microaggressions there? Um, I mean, it's not even a diversity thing, but think of it in terms of coaching. If you have a female field hockey coach or a female soccer coach who's on the kids and yelling and screaming, oh, well, she's a witch. She's such a mean coach. And this, and you walk over to a football field and they're cursing the kids up and down. Oh, well, it's football. Yeah. They're making them tough. Well, why can't the hockey coach do that? Well, because that's a female. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's, uh, you know, obviously gender bias there um, and, and definitely um, not, not fair in any way, right? Like we, I think a good, a good example that I, I was told um, and, and it just really resonated with me about microaggressions. Like we think micro and it's in the, it's in the word, right? So it's, it's little. Um, and, but if, if you kind of use the analogy of, of think of it like a mosquito bite, right? Like if you get one mosquito bite, not a big deal, but if you're getting bit all the time and these small little microaggressions eventually add up, um, and, and that makes a lot of, that made a lot of sense to me. And, and they, they referenced it in regards to the angry black woman, right? Like, like, yeah, she's going to get angry. Like if, if you got bit once, yeah, you're not going to be mad, but if you get bit all day, every day, those little microaggressions add up and, and, you know, eventually some, you know, you can snap. Um, so that, that resonated with me. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you, with, with everybody. Um, any other thoughts on, on the microaggressions from anybody or want to move on? I appreciate, I appreciate everybody's thoughts there. Um, all right. So our next question, um, you guys kind of gave us the topic. So I'm very curious to, to hear what your answers are. Um, but uh, can you just maybe describe or, or explain the difference between inequality versus inequity? Um, so the way I best remember it is there's a picture, I'm pretty sure you can Google it, um, of three people that are standing at a fence. And um, one person is tall, they can see over the fence. The next one is a little taller, but they can't see. And then the third person, they're, um, they look like a child. So they obviously can't see over the fence. So equality would be for them to all get a box, the same box to stand on that lets them all see over the fence. And equity would be they each, so the two shorter people, they're getting more resources for what they need to see over the fence. So one has maybe one box and then that shorter person has two boxes, but they're then all able to see over the fence. So that's equality and equity. So it's when we're not getting those things, we're then in equal and inequitable. Um, I also think of how women don't get paid as much as men. So if the woman can, for doing the same job right, <laughs> and yeah. the woman can get more money or then they're you know at the same field um or on the same field so that they have the same resources to be successful so to speak um but that's how i am able to remember it and maybe somebody else has a, another way to think of inequality and inequity 
Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, would you be able to maybe, you know, you, you kind of use the, the, the unequal pay for women. Is there anything specific to diversity that you could give an example that, that, you know, would highlight that? Um, probably the education system. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, it's easy for me being that I'm from the inner city of Philadelphia. I didn't go to public school, but, um, knowing what I know about the school district, if you have, um, white children that are in the suburbs and affluent neighborhoods, they have better, I'm not going to say better teachers, but they have better resources and yep. everything true. that they need to succeed, they have access to. Yeah. Whereas in the Philadelphia school district, they don't have those resources and they kind of need more funding um, so that they can be able to be on the same playing field educationally yeah. as their white counterparts in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, I so think that's, that's the, the best way to think about it. And, you know, they're all in public schools. So why are they not getting the same resources? And we're expecting those black children that are underserved to be just as good or better than the white students in the suburbs. Yeah. And that goes back to like, correct me if I'm, if I'm not speaking right here, but um, you know, the cost of living or, or the, the property, cause the property taxes are how we, exactly. we, we, we have um, resources for schools. Right. So the cost of living and, and the taxes are going to be higher, right. In, in the white suburb compared to the inner city community. Yeah. So then the resources are just automatically mm-hmm. disproportional. Um, so yeah. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, so we're already starting off at a disadvantage. Right. Um, not only because of where we live, but also for the majority, I guess you could say, those students are of color mm-hmm. or they're black students or maybe they're um, Latinx in that um, racial group. So just because they are where they are, they're already at a disadvantage and right. they're going to have to figure out something to try to get better resources. And you have the situations where maybe a parent may say they like their zip code or whatever address is one thing so they can get their child in a different school and give them better resources so that they can do better. And that's illegal in in whatever way it is. (laughs) Um, But those things happen and we're just always trying to get to the top. Yeah. Or at least to the equal, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Any, any other thoughts on that from anybody else? Um, just speaking, sorry if I cut somebody off there. Um, just speaking directly to that. Um, my husband is an elementary school teacher. So with virtual learning right now, like that is the best example that I can give you. Um, the school district that I live in is a, is a suburban school district. And um, previous to coronavirus, every single kid in the middle school and high school was given a Chromebook. So they already had Chromebooks prior to virtual learning being a necessity. So when our school district that we live in transitioned to virtual learning, the kids were already um, accustomed to that uh, mode of learning. They transitioned really well. The teachers transitioned really well and their education really didn't miss a beat. 
Um, and my husband teaches in the local city school district and it's October. <laughs> um, they've been virtual since March. Um, they're still not one-to-one -one with Chromebooks. So um, kids still don't have the same opportunities to even get online and be able to access their teachers that a school district 10 minutes away does. Um, so I think virtual learning really puts a spotlight on it. Um, you know, we're less than 10 minutes from this other school district and the learning opportunities present for the kids are technically the same. It is still a public school district, um, but the access is not there uh, for sure. So definitely in terms of the uh, metaphor of being able to see over the fence to be able to get to high school graduation, our kids in our, our, in our school district are in a much better position to be able to do that. They don't need a boost, um, but the local city schools definitely, definitely do. So I guess that, that brings up a good question. Um, what do you guys think is a key area where we can improve as athletic trainers? How can we do better to help this kind of stuff in our athletic training rooms? Um, how, can we, how can we do better? Big question, very broad. <laughs> Take it however you want it. Just run, run with something. I don't know. I'm not sure. Go ahead, Heidi. I'm in uh, Bonnie. I'm sorry. Um, one, I hope people listen to this podcast. Um, I, we need people to get involved. You know, I think when people hear the word diversity, they think it's, um, you know, they roll their eyes. They're like, oh, it's another diversity training. But, you know, people need to decide to do something. Um, anything, do something to improve their knowledge and their understanding of, um, of doing something to improve how they embrace diversity, how they improve the, the working environment for people who are not like them. And by them, I mean, you know, white people. Um, and the second thing is, it's not on black people <laughs> to improve the situation. Um, you know, it, it's not on Mercedes to, to lead the charge as the, the black person who's doing, you know, participating in this podcast, it's yep. on white people to make the change. Um, you know, we're the ones who need to step up and say, we're going to improve the situation because we're in the majority. Um, we're the ones who white people are the ones who um, are in the, 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 you know, for lack of a better term, the power situation to um, exert um, racism on people who are different from us. So it's up to us to create the change that we want to see. We have to want to see that change. And so we need to step up and start um, correcting the situation. So it's on us. So we need to create welcoming environments in our athletic training rooms, in our high schools, in our colleges, in our clinics, in our hospitals, in our physician offices, wherever it is that we're working, in our traditional and our emerging settings, we need to start creating welcoming environments for people who don't look like us. 
and that's on us. So if you don't know how to do that, go and learn how to do that. And is it a comfortable situation? No, it's not comfortable. You have to get uncomfortable. But, you know, it is, you know, at the time of this recording, it is 2020. And there is racial unrest all around us. So there are resources. And this podcast is one of many, many resources out there. And so go and find the resources. And if you don't know where, there are people who can help you to find the resources. It, there's no excuse in 2020 to not know where to get the resources. Get uncomfortable, go find the resources and start to make a change, create a welcoming environment. And it's really simple to do. You know, it's October. This is um, Hispanic Heritage Month. Have you done anything in your facility to celebrate your Hispanic patients? Have you done anything to celebrate your Hispanic employees and coworkers? It is also um, National Coming Out Month. Have you done anything to um, make it a comfortable environment for your LGBTQ athletes and patients and coworkers to feel like they can come out to you? That's a really important step. So be brave, create a welcome environment. And if you don't know how, ask. So that was, that, that's brilliant. I, I appreciate those thoughts. And I will, I will admit, right? Like, so I'm, I'm trying to go down this journey and, and, and learn more about myself and, and, and how to become more diverse and inclusive, right? Like that's, that's, that's one of my goals in, in, in my life right now. Um, and on that learning process, you know, selfishly, I was like, hey, I have a podcast, right? And we have an inclusivity and diversity committee. Like, here's an opportunity for me to, to one, give them a platform to talk. And two, for me to personally learn more and have these conversations with you all who are the experts in the field. Um, so, you know, that being said, like, you're, you're, Bonnie, you, you challenged us to ask. So I'm going to ask, right? I'm going to ask right now. I'm going to ask you guys, um, you know, how, how, what specifically, let's, let's, let's start with or, or stick with diversity for today, since we're going to talk about um, inclusivity more um, on the next episode. But our athletic training rooms, so I, I work in a traditional setting. So again, this is, this is very personal and, and selfish, I guess is what I should say, because I want to know. I, I, I'm going to ask you, like, what, how can we make, our athletic training rooms more um, open and friendly. And I guess, I guess a specific question I, I would have would be, <clears throat> we all hear those microaggressions. We all hear the little racist comments or jokes that, you know, especially if there is a, a, an athlete of color in my training room or athletic training room, and I hear something, is it better for me to call that person out right then and there. So even, so say they like, so say a white person says something, a microaggression, I hear it. The, the person of color hears it, but they don't say anything. Is it better for me to, to interject right then and there in front of everybody? Is that going to make the person of color feel uncomfortable or, or is it more, is it better for me to kind of just let it happen and then maybe talk to that person of color later and say, Hey, like I heard this. How did you feel? Like, what's the best scenario there? For me, I'm going to say you call that person out right then and there Okay. Um, because it sets the tone for what you want your environment, your athletic training room to reflect. And that 
black student athlete is going to say, oh, wow, you know, Adam just called him out. I can be comfortable with Adam. And it's maybe not be comfortable, but it's still going to show that you are an ally and you're working to not have that in your environment, in that environment. So it it does kind of create that welcoming um, space. And that's for anything that you hear, whether it's against a a Black person or um, a Hispanic person, Latinx, or even if it's something against a white person and white culture, then you calling that person out right then and there is going to, it's better in the long run for you as well as those around you. Thank you. That's helpful. Any other thoughts on that? I mean, I've done that with some of my athletes. They've made comments. I've called them out. I've kicked them out of the room and been like that. That's not acceptable in, in this room. Like we don't do that. And then once that person leaves, I'll go check in with the other athletes and be like, are you okay? Like you let me know how you want moving forward, how you want this stuff. Um, That happened in our athletic training facilities. Um, As quick as I am personally to jump to the defensive, um, I think it's a good wait a good moment for us to look at this as an opportunity for education um so when these comments are made it generally comes from a place of miseducation or just not knowing um ignorance but i think that um they're unacceptable no matter what um so interjecting and educating and then setting that culture of this is not acceptable and if it happens again then we're (laughs) pretty aggressively shutting this down um but i i think that you create culture of of safety and openness when you your goal is education um instead of being I don't want to use the word angry, but instead of like immediately jumping on the offensive. (laughs) So um, I know that's something that anybody would struggle with, right? Like I struggle with that uh, a lot of times when kids, uh, sorry, patients say um, really ridiculous things. And in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh my goodness, like how could that have possibly just come out of your mouth? Um, but taking a step back and really taking the opportunity to educate the patients, uh, I think makes a big difference because then it's a conversation and I've seen that open doors to having an open conversation in my facility instead of just an immediate quick correction. Thank you, Heidi. That's exactly what I'm looking for, right? Like, yeah, that that's, I don't, I, yes, I want to interject, like you said, but yeah, I want, I want to have those, those conversations and I want to be able to educate and, and make that environment um what we want it to be so yeah thank you for for your thoughts there that was that was awesome uh anybody else on that um i haven't i have a couple more questions if if not um mercedes is laughing at me um (laughs) so i guess the next question i have is um i guess in regards to so because so mercedes you you had mentioned uh the district two was was getting you the numbers um of what our diversity does look like in in the area um because phil and i actually had this conversation right like i i i said openly and in, in um I, I so i work in division three centennial conference and and you know yes we have some diversity but it's not the most diverse 
conference around for sure. Um, and, and then Phil's kind of experience was a little bit different with, with where he works. And, and he says, you know, I, I actually do interact a lot with, with diversity. And I was like, all right, well, that's, that's, that's awesome. But I need to figure out how I can, one, one attract people. So I, uh, you know, this is an excuse, but like, so we, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, it's middle of nowhere, um, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, how, one, how can, how can I attract more people of color to apply for a job at Dickinson college? What, 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 it, what would attract them to a college, um, you know, that, that is going to, or, or how do we make them more welcome once they're here? Um, you know, just, I guess, recruitment and retention, um, all those, all those things in, in a small town, middle of nowhere. Again, I'm being very selfish and, and, and want to know for my own benefit, but you know, if you can make it more broad, that, that would be great. Or I'm just rambling. It's okay. No, it's, I think it's a question because honestly, a lot of people question me for attending Cal U because it's in yeah. a small town, middle of nowhere. Yeah. Nobody even knew California PA was a thing until I decided, oh, look, this school. So it's like, why you go there? But also, <laughs> <laughs> it was once I got there, the campus, it felt welcoming for many reasons you know I went on a tour and those people they were welcoming and I didn't feel like anybody was out to get me you know I spoke to people on campus and everybody was nice so that helped and then once I left <laughs> and it was like okay you're out of there or whatever and then when I decided to go back to work it was again why are you going back to Cal PA like what's there <laughs> And I just, I had to tell people, you know, honestly, it, it's home for me because I have those memories there. People are welcoming and I haven't had, to be honest, the only negative experiences I had on campus were with the public safety. And that ties in with my own issues personally against police and, you know, it's convoluted, but <laughs> it's, that was the only negativity I had there and everyone was welcoming you know a lot of that came from you know people teaching me and helping me to get where I am in my professional life as well as they helped me personally so if you can just show that that exists in the surrounding community then that helps but also I think it starts with the towns themselves because you know cal pa the townies don't want the right. university there and it's like well the university is your livelihood I, so yeah. like you should want it so if you can make those connections with the community um that will help yeah. but also making sure people on campus are inclusive um the representation is really a winner but we don't have that. But if we're taking what we can to reach out to people that we know are qualified because there are qualified candidates, if you can reach out to them and say, hey, we want you here, if they don't apply, that's on them. But yeah. you know, at least you're taking that risk yeah. to put yourself out there. Yeah, I, I, I would. So and this is another thing we that Phil and I talked about, but like, you know, most athletic trainers only, um, um, advertise their positions on the NATA website, which is basically the only one. Is there any other places where we could advertise those positions that might draw more people of color? Um, I feel a lot of people do look at the NCAA yeah. website. Oh, NCAA, yeah. Um, okay. mm -hmm. Because 
that's a big thing there. Um, but other than that, I personally would not post anything on Indeed or uh, yeah. <laughs> something like that. But yeah. um, those bigger websites that have a name and have some sort of like credibility um, is better. Uh, but other than that, there's not anything that I can think of. Okay. Yeah, I just if, if you have advertised your job on the NATA website, um, you know, career placement, you can forward your job description to the Ethnic Diversity Advisory Council, and they will forward uh, the position um, through their resources. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. Thank you. You know, and honestly, one of the best resources is to forward, um, you know, uh, forward jobs through um the, the people that you know um for example um you know someone forwarded a job to mercedes the other day and, and she forwarded that on so you know utilize the the resources that you know and awesome. that certainly um you know i think something that our um committee would uh would want to support yeah completely agree for increasing the diversity and representation like, yeah i didn't really it doesn't affect me and I don't mean that in a rude way but through my dissertation research it affects the student athletes um or our patients um they want to see that representation uh, I can only speak for you know Cal I am the only representation in the athletics department so <laughs> I took it on personally like oh I, I have to be be here for my people yeah. You know, which is a lot exactly and i have to continuously remind myself it's not just me as long as you know my co-workers are which i think we have a great group and we are welcoming and we are inclusive so even though the diversity isn't there we do still have that environment where everyone does feel safe and inclusive or included so it the yeah. representation is important to then that's where that's where i'm at that's where i'm coming from is um again you know we we're, we're always trying to push for more diversity especially in our student athlete population but if we get student athletes of color here and then we don't have coaches of color and, and athletic trainers and diversity within the actual staff that that I, I agree i think it makes it very hard for them right so if we can increase that diversity on our end they'll feel more welcome feel more included because they you know they see more people that look like them um so i i, I think that would be huge um so thank you guys for for sharing your thoughts on that um i think my last question on this kind of topic would be so we talked about athletic training rooms we talked about you know staff and, and coaches and stuff like that what about within pats right so within within our organization um you know so is, is this the whole committee of, of diversity and inclusivity or, or are we missing a couple members we still have a few a few, few members um so just you know maybe you know any ideas on how to get more uh diversity involvement in uh the pennsylvania athletic training society email so, uh, huh <laughs> email us email yeah. you guys yeah, yeah. Uh, you so know, if people are interested um if you're a pats member and in good standing with uh, the boc and pats and you have your npi number send us your resume send mercedes your resume chair, <laughs> <laughs> and, <the> <laughs> and uh get involved um you know where um it, it doesn't matter what your 
your race, your gender, your um, whether you're straight or gray, you're gay, doesn't matter. Um, you know, if you're if you're if you want to improve the inclusion and the efforts in uh, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania for athletic trainers and our patients, by all means, reach out to us. The more, the merrier. And I can speak to this from a personal standpoint. I'm a cis straight white female and I emailed Mercedes and I said, Mercedes, <laughs> this is me. Um, and I don't know how helpful I can be, but I know that this is an issue and I'm so willing to be a part of this because I am aware of, of these issues and I want to make it better. And she was like, yup, <laughs> that's exactly it. Um, so I think too, from a perspective of somebody who traditionally hasn't been discriminated against in any way, um, that puts me in a position of privilege to help those who have been and acknowledging that and being part of this I think is a good step in the right direction for me and I am always learning <laughs> from everyone um, and I make mistakes just like you said um, earlier you know and I want people to tell me that and so as long as you're open then join us yeah and I, I'm gonna echo that too so I'm also on the um um, Pat's programming committee. And as I was kind of prepping for this, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm like, so Scott Hendricks and I are, are the programming committee. So we're looking for a third member. If you guys know anybody or anybody listening that, um, well, anybody that wants to join is more than welcome, but would really encourage any diversity, inclusivity, um, anybody that, that is, is willing to kind of, um, help us out and, and I think make make our programming more diverse and inclusive, I think would be awesome. So I, I would highly encourage anybody to reach out to either Mercedes and she can pass you pass it on to me or, or, or can reach out to me directly at um, programmingpats at gmail.com. I think that's all I had for that now. We can move on to the next question. <laughs> all right. So I think we we touched a lot on on what I was thinking for the next question. And, and I, I think this is going to be more of a, a summary statement. Um, and if you guys want to add to it a little bit, um, but, you know, as athletic trainers, we are the support network for our, for our patients. Um, that's what we do, whether we're helping them with something more of physical issue, like uh, well, just ankle sprain or, or something a little bit more, more deep like athlete identity or mental health. Um, that's what we do as practitioners. Um, and I, I think the, Adam, your question really kind of got down to like, what are some ways we can go about it? You know, limiting the microaggressions, calling people out on it, being that uh, friendly face to, to go to with these issues. Um, and I think we as athletic trainers are really uh, positioned well in our athletic departments to be that beacon of change, to be that support structure for our patients. I completely agree, Phil. Um, if anybody else has any comments, please feel free to, to jump in. And then also we, we talked about a little bit, but resources, does anybody have any good resources, books, podcasts specifically that you want to um, maybe point athletic trainers to that would be helpful? AT, is it ATC chat or AT chat um, okay. podcast? I know that's on YouTube. I did an episode with them as well. Oh, cool. Um, and check that out. Yeah. yeah, and it's two athletic trainers in Wisconsin. 
um, that run it. And um, the infographics that we're going to put out, there'll be great resources. Um, are they, are they going to get email? You said emailed out. Um, quarterly news um or maybe put it on the website guys i'm off for the social media because that's how we read yeah. people these days <laughs> but whatever we can do uh the um the uh workshop that we had posted out that uh dr renee reva shingles did uh two weeks ago they did record that and it is available um we had put that link out on um twitter uh, but we can resend that out um, again. But uh, like I said, that was recorded. They did award CEUs for that. That was an amazing um, workshop uh, that I highly recommend. Um, and then the one that's coming up next week, um, that would be a great one for people to participate in. And Dr. Shingles does have a, a textbook that's out um, um, that is also um, a great resource. Uh, and then the LGBTQ um, plus advisory committee does have a Twitter feed that has a lot of great links that they are always um, pushing out information for. And there's a really great um, book that's out. I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head, but it's called How to Be an Anti-Racist um, that I found to be incredibly enlightening. And that is available in Target. I just saw it yesterday. I can't remember the author, but I was like, oh, wow, Target has it. So it's available in Target. Yes, good place How to be an anti-racist. It's a really good book. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. Um, so again, I just want to say thank you all for being on this podcast. Um, it, it's been an absolute pleasure to to have this conversation and learn more and to hopefully, you know, push, push this topic forward. Um, so th thank you again for, for taking the time out of your day to, to talk to us. Um, if, if viewers have any questions um, for you guys, um, can you just repeat your, maybe the diversity and inclusivity email or any other ways that they can reach out to you guys? It is inclusivity pet at gmail.com. Okay. Awesome. So again, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, and we will be back um, for episode two or part two of the diversity and inclusivity podcast. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about inclusivity um, and, and the LGBTQ plus um, uh, population and, and athletes that, that we work with next time. Um, so tune into that next week. Um, until then, uh, I just want to say viewers, thank you for listening. Um, until then, I'm Adam Richmond, And I'm Philip Hensler. And this was the Pat's podcast.